Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Yardena Osban, here with my friend and Chabruta, Ann Gordon. Our DAP today, Sadi Chet, 98. So our DAP today is really kind of different than I think something that we've seen before, and it contains a lot of discussion about the Mishkan. And what did the beams of the Mishkan look like? The tapestries of the Mishkan look like? And I think we see something interesting happen here, which is, we see Chazal do a very close reading of the Psukim, the verses that describe the Mishkan itself. And from there, they use that close reading of specific words. And there's even Machloket in how to read some of those words to come up with a visual depiction of what the Mishkan actually looked like. Um, for me personally, this is a challenge because I'm really not a visual person at all. Um, you, none of you have ever seen me parallel park, but it's like I'm not a visual person. And so I personally had trouble with this stuff. Um, and yes, many of, you know, the arts girl, whatever they have, you know, uh, a lot of illustrations to show you exactly what it is they're talking about. But I think what's fascinating here is to really see that sort of like the Torah contains a verbal description, you know, of something that's physical and that requires visualization and sort of seeing the gap or the attempt of like, how do you take what's verbally written and then create a visual picture of it? Um, and, you know, again, they didn't. And I think this also shows us something interesting in terms of how oral law was init initially written. You know, if somebody was writing this as meant to be like a book book in the way that with a printing press or things like that, obviously it would have come with illustrations. But I think the point is that even when we think about like the, the oral law being written down, it's not written down in the classic sense of a book the way we think of a book. And I think this, a page like this really illustrates it, no pun intended, because, you know, it's, we don't see the illustrations. And again, even in the discussion of the Gemara, we're forced to do the same thing that we are with the Torah, which is to use verbal language, right? We're taking language and having to construct in our mind a visualization of what was really being described about the Mishkan itself. Right. So I think I, I would, with your permission, Yardina, I'd like to actually share what happened when we were preparing, right? So I think everybody knows we prepare independently and then we kind of talk for a few minutes to make sure that we know what we're going to talk about before we record. And Right, Yardina, you started saying, you think, you know, that the that this is the issue here, right? That the visual you take from the psukim and you get to the visual. And I started laughing because my take was you start from the Gemara and then you still have to make this visual out of the text of the Gemara. That we both kind of handled this daf and our preparation of it in, in a very similar manner. That the challenge here is taking words and making something physical out of it, conceptually, in your mind, whatever. There are certainly people who are very talented at this. I'm going to wager that Betzalel in the Chumash, right? The, for, you know, the creator, the architect of the Mishkan, I mean, besides Hashem's instructions of, to be the architect of the Mishkan, I'm sure he had this talent where he can, you know, visualize it with words. It, it means something to him to make a, a shapes already. And I think that, I think that no matter how visual you are as a person outside of Batala, let's say, I think that it becomes a big challenge. Meaning, Yodin, I understand what you're saying, that you feel a disadvantage, but I think that there's, I think that there's several layers of 
you know, taking from the abstract and turning it into something physical, because in addition to having to conceptualize the measurements and when something's going to be shorter or longer or square or rounder or whatever, there's also this question of, you know, do we have the vocabulary completely accurate to know exactly what they meant to make sure that that's, that we're, that our conception of it is, is accurate, um, that we're going to, that we would in fact end up with the Mishkan that it's supposed to be if we, if we tried to translate this into, um, you know, creating something physical. Of course, this is what Machon Mikdash actually does, right? Like there, there are organizations that this is what they try to do. They do it slower than we are right now. That is for sure. Um, okay, let's look at some of the, just a, just one example of what we're talking about here. And I'm, I, intentionally I'm choosing one that I actually do feel more comfortable to visualize. I did not feel that way about all of the examples. Meaning yeah, I, I didn't can... feel that way about any of these. <laughs> I, mean, but, I feel I'm not a visual person. Like I just, I, I couldn't. Which is fine. I... <laughs> but that's the thing, right? Some people are more abstract thinkers and some people are more concrete thinkers. So yeah. I think that what happens here is how do we translate these, you know, visual terms into the concrete? Once upon a time, probably I should, not even tell the story, but once upon a time I was teaching English in a high school in America and we were supposed to read an epic. And instead of reading Beowulf, which is what everybody reads, we actually read The Hobbit, which was very, very fun. And then the next year, the movie, The Lord of the Rings came out, the first segment of it. And I got permission from the school to take the girls from that class to the movie, or maybe it was, it must've been the same year that we had just read it. And then the movie came out. And I did that, I mean, obviously, because it's fun and isn't that a cool teacher thing to do, but also because I wanted these students who may have had a harder time translating a lot of description into something, you know, visual. And then there the movie did it for them, even though it's a different book, but like the forest and the mountains and the, whatever it was. So I feel like I would like the movie of this daf, right, in terms of the creation of the Mishkan. I know there are books of the Mishkan, but I'm saying like, I would like exactly this to be translated into something else. Let's read I some. Love, I love that. That is, I love that. What would the movie, because often when I read Tanakh, I think about like, what would the movie look like? Now right. I'm going to start thinking about what the movie of the Daf would look like. Okay, start Excellent. reading. Sorry. So, right. So we want to see just exactly what this means, that there are words and we have to like now conceptualize them into something physical or at least visual. So we have 10 curtains. Now we know from elsewhere, we've talked about this before, we'll talk about it again, that the curtains were woven, you know, very... Um, with a tight weave, and it's a very, very good quality of fabric. And this is part of what was prohibited on, on Shabbat, right? The the weaving, all those weaving malachot are about making the curtains. So what happens? You make the 10 curtains, and the length of each curtain needs to be 28 cubits, right? So an ama, like picture your forearm, give or, give or take, um, so you have the, the length the length of the curtain is going to be 28 cubits and then the width of the curtain is going to be 4 cubits although that's not in our text right here right um but that is that is what the measurement needs to be because that's from the verse in Shemot. so the the text here does not say by the way go back and look up your verse to make sure that you get all of the details because we're not going to give you all of them so that's as i said there's a number of different stumbling blocks blocks in this text that aren't just a matter of are you a visual thinker or not right so you have to go back to the to the um to say for shmot parakavav chapter 26 and you will discover lo and behold that not only is the length 28 cubits the width is four cubits so now you have 10 cubit 10 curtains excuse me 10 curtains of 28 by four 
And all of the curtains are going to have the same measurements. That's again from the Pasuk. So we know that they're supposed to be identical. So picture your 10 curtains here. They're long and fairly narrow. Shadi or Kaihu, here we're in Aramaic, right? Which is, you know, again, like I said, there's different layers of the challenge of this vocabulary, of this, of this text. Shdi or Kaihu lafutia de Mishkan, Kama Havian, Asrin Vitamne. So now, again, this is, it, it takes from that verse, from that biblical verse in Sefer Shmot, place their length, meaning the 28 cubits, across the width of the tabernacle. So now picture the structure of the Mishkan, which is like a big box, basically. And one side, I mean, two sides, you know, whatever. There's the width and you have the length. So you're going to put the length of the curtains across the width of the Mishkan. Okay? So that... Let's say you have a box, a rectangular box, and you're going to put these long curtains on the short side of the Mishkan. How you doing, Yardina? You with me? I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm trying <laughs> to think what it looks like. <laughs> I mean, again, I can't be sure that I'm describing exactly what this means to be, but I'm going to try. Um, okay. Dal asar igra, But then you have to subtract 10 cubits for the width of the roof of the Mishkan, right? I guess that, I mean, you, you can't just like line up the fabric all the way because you also have to make sure, I guess, that there's a gap at the top. Let's go with that. So you end up having, if you take 10 amot from the width of the roof and you have nine amot on the side, and nine amot on the other side. And I'm not sure what exactly what that means. Lahaigisa, lahaigisa. The terms mean on the side and this side. I can't quite visualize exactly what those sides are. But again, let's assume we're talking about the box of the Mishkan. So according to Rabbi Yehuda, he says that, that these beams of the Mishkan itself, they get narrower. And they get narrowed to the to the width of a finger breadth instead of a whole ama, so that where you have the sockets, right, that final ama of the of the box of the corner, you're going to see the sockets exposed, right? That's where it says megalia ama de adanim, that it's um, revealed, or according to Rabbi Nechemia, megalia ama de kashim. He says, where is where do you see this cubit, the ama that's going to be revealed? is going to be at the top of the beams, and somehow that gets added to the overall width of the Mishkan, so that you end up with not just seeing that ama at the sockets, but an ama at the beams themselves, I think, at the top. Okay, so this is, you know, clear as mud, um, except for that, I would say that what we can understand is that the ziriot are fundamentally doing something very different than if I said, like, let's go to Pottery Barn and get curtains, right? And we're going to drape them also artistically in my living room, wind over my living room windows. That's not what this kind of curtain is. This kind of curtain ends up being a privacy shield almost for the, I believe, if I've got this right, for the entire width, so to speak, of the Mishkan. Well, I always picture that one of the things that I think interesting about the Mishkan is it didn't have windows, if I understand correctly, like that inner part that was covered by the curtains, you know, the only light you would have, I believe, would be from the menorah. It actually was like very dark in a certain way. And I think there's also a big opening, meaning I'm here. I'm speaking from 
depiction visual depictions that I've actually seen. I'm not just talking about from the from the text that we have here. If you've ever seen that book, like a glossy the coffee table kind of book. The tabernacle, exactly, which in Hebrew, by the way, is called Hamishkan. Um, you know, so the book leaves a little bit to be desired in terms of, I don't know, it doesn't make me so, the, the pictures don't strike me as glorious. And I feel like, but the Mishkan must have been glorious, right? But be that as it may, it does give some sense of like where there's fabrics and where there's beams and what colors are where. And, I, and so the front is open. Right. The front piece is open. Yes, I know what you mean by that, but there's something about these like tapestries over tapestries covering that just feels uh-huh. very heavy for me. Like, I think, you, very often would, you know, if you, you would sort of think of a space like that of uh, being open and bright and airy, and I don't think that's what the inside of it actually looked like. Right. I agree with you. I mean, of the of the Mikdash itself, meaning once the, what, right, there's a an area around this that is, even when they're traveling in the, in the Midbar, right, before it becomes a Beit HaMikdash, right, when it's still a Mishkan, they still have some, like, area around the structure that they're carrying with them that I think does give a greater sense of, like, this is the holy space. But but I think the insides of it, I think, must have, by our standards today, I'm sure we're, we must have, we would probably think of them as quite gloomy. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't have much to add to this because, again, I have to look at <laughs> No, but again, I think just to, you know, summarize and to conclude, um, you know, I think it just should give us an appreciation of how well Chazal understood each word of Tanakh and valued it and really used it to understand. You know, we've seen it for insert like yesterday. Right. We saw the Gezer Shava that Rabbi Akiva does in two situations to understand biblical characters. And here I think we see it, you know, the that type of interpretation being used in a different context, which is really to visualize what the Mishkan looked like. But all of that really comes back to the theme of really understanding that each and every word and context and understanding a whole verse is important to really understanding the Torah itself. You can't just gloss over it. I would add that I think that the fact that we have text right? We don't have a YouTube video. We don't have illustration. The fact that we have text, I think, is part of the divine plan, right? That there are, there is the capacity for different interpretations or misinterpretation or redoing it the way you see it. Like, I think that there's much more scope in simply, in a simple text than there would have been if there had been and the movie that we would like to see made from this text, if if it was not given with text, but just given by a movie or just given by illustrations, it becomes much more difficult to kind of, to internal, to to take it and make it your own, right? I think that part of the, the command here is do what I've, do the exact, very exact, you know, requirements that Hashem has given us our way right like it's this kind of this dance because we have to understand what it says so the moment that we have to be the ones to understand it then we are interpreting the text and yet we're supposed to be very very close to exactly what god requires because we know what happens when you know you try to do god's work without doing what he requires a la not even a in the in the mishkan they did not fare so well right because they did what god did not command them to do so I, there's something very pleasing to me about this being in words, even though it raises challenges about exactly where do we go from there. 
Interesting. I like, I, I think that's a really nice point that you made there. So we'll conclude with that. That's our DAP for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Revanit Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Uh, let us know what you think if you found this page to be challenging on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow's DAP, go and listen.